And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary, and today we're going to break down how Clubhouse grew from just another startup to a billion-dollar valuation in just over eight months. And if I'm not mistaken, now they're at a $4 billion-plus valuation with 10 million weekly active users. This is a business growth case study. All right, today we're going to talk about Clubhouse. We're going to break down how they went from a no-name company to a billion-dollar company in eight months during a pandemic. We're going to talk about founders. We're going to talk about their strategy. We're going to talk about exclusivity and FOMO and and talk about everything that you can learn from Clubhouse after we break down their story. So let's get right into it. So pandemic hits. Uh, Most companies are not doing so great. Many corporations are just focusing on what they're already doing, on what they know works. Many people are getting furloughed. Life's not really that great for a lot of businesses that are trying to understand how to navigate this new normal. But there are some companies who took advantage of the pandemic and took advantage of it in a big way. And the companies that we may think of would be the ones that were selling personal protection equipment or the ones that were selling tools that allowed us to work virtually. But there are other companies that also took advantage of the pandemic, and not in a malicious way, but in a way that allowed them to transform themselves and tap into a need that probably wouldn't have been as prevalent in a pre-pandemic era. And that's what happened with Clubhouse. The transformation of Clubhouse turned it from a startup. It was a startup. It had smart people behind it, but it turned it from a startup into a billion-dollar business in eight months, and that's not normal. It was one of the most remarkable, fascinating, and brilliant, brilliantly executed growth stories and strategies in startup history. So let's go back to 2020. So the two founders of Clubhouse, so Rohan, Seth, and Paul Davidson, they launched Clubhouse in April 2020 as an audio-only social media platform. That's how we still know it. Uh, The company's growth was largely driven by three separate aspects, influencer marketing, strong ties to Silicon Valley tech, and the beauty and simplicity of the product. That's what eventually led to the growth of Clubhouse. Now, today, many people use Clubhouse to expand their professional and personal networks, still as an audio-only platform. But let's, again, go back to that April April of 2020. Let's go back to that date when Clubhouse launched and walk through why it was such a massive hit almost from day one. So this is the first aspect. We spoke about three aspects, right? We spoke about 
uh, influencer marketing, strong ties, and beautifully crafted products. The first aspect would be the strong ties. That's what I want to dive into. And I want to also say this. The fact that the behaviors and the habits of the average user, the average Clubhouse user who was sitting at home, who was Zoom fatigued, who basically was on video all day, but had some extra time because they didn't have commute anymore. That's the that's the persona of the Clubhouse user. That's the person who was sitting at home who eventually started using the platform. So all the things that the two founders did and had access to, all of that was amplified and compounded by the persona of the audience. And this is something that we have to we have to give credit where credit's due and the landscape of the you know the or the rather the environment of the user the reality of the user who jumps on clubhouse would have been much different if it had launched two years ago three years ago right so um first point using their reputation as an advantage so the founders rohan seth and paul davidson leveraged their reputation and network to reach influential figures clubhouse accessed the market via the promotion of mega influencers like Drake and Elon Musk and Oprah Winfrey. Uh, Without a doubt, the endorsement from a large influencer network draws a lot of attention to your product. And it's very impressive. The clubhouse managed to attract such high caliber individuals so early on. And these influencers really brought a product and an app that was still in its infancy to the attention of everyone in Silicon Valley and really the rest of the world. Now, you may be wondering, how did you get access to these influencers? Because, of course, if you have access to them, then it sounds really, really easy. It makes a lot of sense. But you don't just have access to these people. So all of this was made popular by the two founders, by, by Seth and Davidson's network. They were established members of the Silicon Valley tech community and venture capital community. They had a strong network of high net worth individuals, and they had already worked on four technology startups before Clubhouse was even a thought. So you have to understand that they had built their network between their career success and their business successes in the past to get it to a point where they had the access. They had the connections. They had the reputation already that allowed them to tap into this audience. For example, just to show you how successful they were before you even heard of them or their product, Clubhouse, uh, they had sold one of their first apps called Highlight to Pinterest. That's not a small acquisition in and of itself. So they had a network. They had past wins. They had a reputation. And with their ties to the tech and the venture capital scene, they managed to raise $12 million from from Andreessen Horowitz, a private American venture capital firm, a very notable and well-known American venture capital firm. And this was an impressive first win for Clubhouse and obviously attracted some attention because Andreessen Horowitz doesn't just invest in anybody. Like, for example, they've been in Coinbase, they've been in Lyft, they've been in Ripple, uh, Databricks, Oculus VR, some really, really notable companies. Now, to understand why this investment was such a big deal and why it had such an impact on the success of Clubhouse, we have to look at Silicon Valley in a broader context. In Silicon Valley, many startups fail. This is not uncommon for people to fail. In fact, you know, 90, 95, 99% of startups, they fail. And why is that? Lack funding, investors pulling out, hiring the wrong people, personalities, ambitions, goals of the founders don't align. And as a consequence, the companies become fragmented, they become divided. Venture capital investors 
and firms like Andreessen Horowitz and others. They're very risk adverse. They deny companies funding when they most need it, meaning VID doesn't even get off the ground. Um, so by having the reputation, by building out small things and by doing those things successfully and by putting in the time and the years to build the network, this is what allowed them to raise money easily when they needed it. So the funding in and of itself helps your company progress forward, but also just getting the funding attracts good attention. It shows that a notable venture capital firm is interested in you. So this provided that first successful route to market awareness, which again, allowed more notable influencers to feel comfortable getting behind the platform, lending their name to the platform, hopping on. And of course, because how it works in Silicon Valley is when one investor goes in on a project, this makes a lot of other investors feel very comfortable. So when Andreessen Horowitz gives a company $12 million, many other investment firms now feel as though, well, now it makes sense for me to go in. And usually what happens is in Silicon Valley, or in startup land or whatever, when you have one main investment firm that leads the round that puts in money, then everybody wants to jump in and then a round or a funding round or the amount of money you can get, you get potentially too many offers and you could be what could be considered oversubscribed or over invested in. So it's usually hard to get that first person. But when that first investor is a notable name, or even if the first investor is not a notable name, it definitely opens the floodgates for other investors and exposure and press and PR and in this case, influencers. So now they have the funding, they have some eyeballs on them. We have to remember COVID is still happening and marketing market conditions are right for this kind of tech and this kind of platform. So funding influencers environment all lines up. But what's next? Well, your product has to be damn good. Because even if you market a shitty product, people are just going to find a shitty product quicker and never use it. So what made people want to use Clubhouse? Well, it was intuitive. It was familiar. So social media communities always struggle to gain the approval of a larger audience if the first time you use it, it isn't intuitive. It isn't simple. It doesn't make sense. It's not flawless. And that's what Clubhouse made sure they were. They were intuitive. They were user-friendly. The onboarding was simple. It got the attention and it followed it up with high-quality design and it allowed users to feel comfortable using it, which allowed them to stay on the platform. And made them want to stay on the platform. Even if you think about how you can use it in your day-to-day. -day. If you're on Clubhouse, you don't have to be staring at your phone at your screen to use it. You can be using it while you're at the gym, while you're walking, while you're studying, while you're relaxing. It's just audio, it's just listening. And they've made it so that it's a very, very user-friendly tool once you're in it to join, to jump between rooms, to engage in conversations, to just listen to conversations and potentially not get involved. So the user experience as well as even the design, the layout, the font, the pages, the flow, all of it was very well put together. And that makes for a comfortable product, a product that feels familiar from day one. And when you have that type of product that just resonates with the user the first time they interact with it, that's a sticky product. That's something that they'll keep using again and again and again because the experience is enjoyable. And if you want to speak about some data points that validate everything I'm saying, Clubhouse generated similar levels of engagement and app retention as Spotify due to, the due to the fact that you didn't have to leave your phone on to actually use it. And high levels of screen time lead to higher rankings in the App Store, 
which meant more downloads, which meant more attention from investors, which meant more attention from influencers. So you can see how all these things really need to align. And then the last piece that Clubhouse did really, really well was a bit of FOMO with an invite-only layer. So the nice thing about Clubhouse is that once you're in, you're in. It has an open networking structure. In essence, it means that once you're in there, you have no restrictions. You can join any club, any room. Nothing's really private. You can move in and out of Clubhouse rooms, observing conversations, getting involved, contributing to the discussion. You can join Clubhouse rooms with celebrities, with the most famous people in the world. You don't need a ticket. You just join. But also, there's an element of FOMO because everything's live and Clubhouse does its best to stop people from recording conversations. So if you miss a live show, you're out of luck. There's no archive. So imagine if the most famous person in the world who is your idol is speaking live on a topic that you're interested in and you know that it's only going to be at that particular time, you're going to join. And you know that you're going to miss it. If, or you know that if you miss it, you're never going to be able to hear that segment again. So it increases... FOMO or fear of missing out so that people want to join and want to get involved. But then also there's the invite only piece mixed in with the live FOMO component. So the invite only piece, it was structured like this. So when Clubhouse was first launched, it was launched on an invite only basis. And it was actually only originally launched on iOS or and it wasn't even available for Android users. So you needed an invite from somebody to join. By December of 2020, it had 600,000 members as well as celebrities who had joined. Now, a few months later, it has over 12, sorry, not 12, it has 10 million weekly active users. So it shows you that even if it's invite only, if you have all the other elements aligned, people are going to want to join. They're going to want to participate. And the platform does have a very uh, exclusive feel. When you're trying to join, you don't have an invite yet. It has a, an air of, of mysteriousness and unexplainability. Like you just know that there's celebrities there. You know that there's people there, your peers there. You see it all over the news when it was first launched because it got some great PR, but you can't get in. So you're looking for invites, invites, excuse me. And it got to the point where there's actually a reseller market, meaning that people who had invites were actually in, uh, selling their invites for money. So if you had so many invites, you would try and sell those invites and people would pay to get onto the platform so that you didn't have to wait for uh, you know, a free invite or access to the platform in you know, three or four or five or six months. So all of these elements really combined to create this excitement and this anticipation. And all of this just ended up being a huge flywheel for users getting into the platform, using it. And then that combined with the fact that people were probably tired of video on all the time but they're also just sitting at home, really, really allowed Clubhouse to be successful in its first few months. And that's really when, when you're taking a product to market and you have investment and you want to have some momentum, which is one of the most important things that a startup can have, it allowed them to really hit the ground running in a major way, which has led their platform to gain the success that it has had to date. And of course, we can always attribute it to the network of Seth and Davidson and the fact that they had past successes. But realistically, you can read into it a little bit deeper and you can see that, of course, the network helped. But there was a perfectly executed take-to-market strategy and playbook, which really ended up and resulted in the success that Clubhouse has seen. And what is the end result? Well, today, as of July 2021, Clubhouse is worth and valued over $4 billion. Now, here are 11 lessons that I've drawn out from the Clubhouse story that I think are great lessons 
just to recap and lessons that if you are building a startup or you're building your thing, or even if even for people that aren't building their own thing, these are very uh, smart and hopefully insightful lessons. So number one, reputation and network can expedite anything you're working on or you're taking on job hunt, startup, etc. The founders use their network to leverage startup capital as well as influencers for their take to market strategy. But you can use your network to get a new job, to raise money, to find new opportunities. So I know this is an overused quote, but your network is your net worth and it is 100% applicable on point and something you should always remember. Second lesson, influencer marketing works when done right. So a lot of people don't quite understand influencer marketing. Now this was a slightly different play than what most companies would be able to do, meaning that they just got incredibly large influencers that made tabloids and headlines and got them PR and press. Um, but still, if you find influencers that are niche to your product or your, or your service, influencer marketing does work when done right. But you have to know who is going to have the most loyal fan base, the most uh, loyal audience that will get people to care about what they're saying. Third lesson, an overnight success takes years. This was the fourth successful, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it could have been the fifth um, because they did four previous. So it would be the fifth successful tech venture by the two co-founders. Um, so always you see the end result, but you don't see all the work and the hours and the success and the failures because I can guarantee you if there was four successful tech ventures, there was a hell of a lot of failures as well. You don't see all of that, right? So you just see these two guys, they build Clubhouse. Oh my God. What an incredible, uh, what an incredible company and business! But you got to take a look back and see all the things that they've done to get to the point that allowed them to create Clubhouse. Because if Clubhouse was the was the first thing these two people made, there's a really good chance it would have not turned out the way it did today. Uh, lesson number four: FOMO and exclusivity will always drive people to want to be in. Make something that people value and make it exclusive. Number five, product-led growth and product-led marketing is important. Part of the appeal of an app or a product or even a service is just creating something that's exceptional. People just don't seem to focus as much as they should on just creating incredible stuff. So part of the appeal of the app was the intuitiveness, the user-friendliness, the UI, the UX. Just take this as a lesson as like build incredible shit and people will find it. You just don't put out garbage into the world. Uh, number six, have a strong take-to-market strategy. So yes, they had their network, they had their connections, but you can see all the different steps they took to get their product to market. That was executed flawlessly. So they didn't launch the product and just hope people signed up. Have a strategy. Even if it's not perfect, have some sort of strategy. Don't just put something out into the world and have no strategy for market, marketing it or selling it. You have to have some idea of how you're going to find your users. It doesn't mean you should wait till it's a perfect plan, but have some sort of plan so you can action against it. Number seven, creating a community is hard, but when done right, it's, it's a billion-dollar business idea. So all successful apps, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, they're all social media communities. But even... even Non, non-social non media companies that really have their consumers as evangelists, they've created a community. So creating a community, even if it's not your core product, which it is for Clubhouse and for other social media apps, creating a community will always help you build a business. Audio is powerful and intimate. Sorry, lesson number eight. 
audio is powerful and intimate, even at scale. You don't always have to have your camera on. And I think this was sort of a lesson that uh, is a little bit more specific to Clubhouse, but it's something that allowed them to scale and to build and to amass this enormous audience and, and community because I think people were so sick of video chat and during COVID. Number nine, build a product that focuses on inclusion and acceptance. The nature of Clubhouse prompted moderators to make people feel welcome, a stark contrast from other social media platforms. So the lesson here is that when you're building something, try and make it so that people feel comfortable and happy using it because a lot of social media, unfortunately, has gotten very negative. Um, So one thing that Clubhouse does focus on is allowing you to go wherever you'd like to go, speaking to anybody who you'd like to speak to. And also the moderators for these channels are trying to bring you in, are trying to get you to engage. And that's something that that allows people to feel good about interacting with these different rooms that they jump in and out of. It makes them feel like they can be included and be part of the conversation with incredible, smart people, sometimes celebrity status people, whereas a lot of other social media apps, um, they're very negative and toxic environments, unfortunately. And lesson number 10, uh, build community into every part of the app, build community into every part of the thing you're building. Even after joining, you're instantly notified when other members of your social network join the app to increase your chance of staying with and using the app. So the lesson here is that if you're building something, of course, you want to increase the stickiness of the product. When people join or sign up for the thing, they want to feel like there's a community that they've now entered into. And what Clubhouse did well is after you joined, it's now showing you in your phone, in your contacts, who else is using the app? Who else out of your friends is also in this community? So you feel like you're part of something. You feel like you're in this with your friends. And I think that that's something that you should also take to heart if you're building something. Because too many companies just build on delivering the product or service and don't have a community aspect. It reduces the stickiness of the product. And by sticking it to the product, I mean it reduces the chance of the person staying with the product because they don't really care about it. They just use it for what it's meant to be used for, and that's it. And, you know, when you're first building something, like, you don't even think, like, well, of course, I want to build and deliver a great product. But at the end of the day, you also want people to feel good when they're using it. And, of course, you know, it it depends on whether or not you're building, like, a, a business product or a consumer product. Uh, But still, try and include some aspect of community, even the ability for members to ask other members questions. You see that a lot with help boards and whatnot. And there's communities built around business to business or non-social media products. So always try and build community into every part of your product or your service or your app. And there's a variety of ways you can do it. So be creative with it. And last lesson, first impressions matter. For anything you're selling to anybody, any product you're building, any company you're starting, first impressions always matter. So with Clubhouse, uh, the UI, the UX, when you first download the app, the onboarding process, it's simple, it's intuitive, it's non-invasive, it's not asking you for all of your, you know, your, you know, Secret question, secret answer, date of birth. Um, It's not requiring a lot for you to get in and get started, which makes it feel easy, simple, non-invasive. This is what people want. Don't make your product hard to use. Don't make your product hard to purchase. And if you can eliminate some steps so that people can start using right away and they feel like the onboarding is non-invasive, simple, easy, and they're guided through the actions they have to take to understand and to use the product 
or the service completely. So there's no question mark. That's a great product. That's a great experience. And that's a great first impression that will, again, increase the chances of that person using your product long term. Anyways, that's the story of Clubhouse. Those are some lessons brought out of Clubhouse. I hope you enjoyed. If you want more business growth, case studies, actionable insight, or interviews with incredible people, go to successstorypodcast.com. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. 
different. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeletemecom success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E.com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story too. So there's five brothers, they filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real, there are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professional to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success that's s-u-c-c-e-s-s to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with belay 